Well, if you have your Bibles with you, turn back with me to 1 Samuel chapter 18. Actually, sorry, 1 Samuel chapter 17. And we will be in the second half of our story of David and Goliath. So the title of today's lesson is David and Goliath, part two, the battle is the Lord's. The battle is the Lord's. So if you can, would all of you please stand up? And I will read out loud 1 Samuel chapter 17. We're going to start in verse 31, and we'll go to the end of the chapter. So 1 Samuel chapter 17, beginning in verse 31. Then the words which David spoke were heard, and they told them to Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fall or fail on account of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Then Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, while he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant was shepherding his father's sheep, and a lion and a bear would come and take a lamb from the flock. And I would go out after it and strike it and rescue the lamb from its mouth. Then it rose up against me and I would seize it by its beard and strike it down and put it to death. Your servant has struck down both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them since he has reproached the battle lines of the living God. And David said, Yahweh, who delivered me from the hand of the lion and from the hand of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go, and may Yahweh be with you. Then Saul clothed David with his robes and put on a bronze helmet on his head, and he clothed him with armor. And David girded his sword over his armor and tried to walk, for he has not tested them. So David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. And David took them off. Then he took his stick in his hand and chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and put them in the shepherd's bag, which he had, even in his pouch. And his sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. Then the Philistine came on and drew near to David with the shield-bearer in front of him. And the Philistine looked and saw David, and he despised him, for he was but a youth and ruddy with a handsome appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine also said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of Yahweh of hosts, the God of the battle lines of Israel, whom you have reproached. This day Yahweh will deliver you up into my hands, and I will strike you down and remove your head from you, and I will give the dead bodies of the camp of the Philistines this day to the birds in the sky and the beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that Yahweh does not save by sword or by spear, for the battle is Yahweh's, and he will give you into our hands." Then it happened when the Philistine rose and came and drew near to meet David, that David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David sent his hand down into his bag and took from it a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. And the, so, the stone sank into his forehead so that he fell on his face to the ground. Thus David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, and he struck the Philistine and put him to death. But there was no sword in David's hand. 
Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and put him to death and cut off his head with it. Then the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, so they fled. But the men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines as far as the valley and to the gates of Ekron. And the slain Philistines laid fallen along the way to Shariam, even to Gath and Ekron. Then the sons of Israel returned from hotly pursuing the Philistines and plundered their camps. And David took the Philistines' head and brought it to Jerusalem, but he put his weapons in his tent. Now when Saul saw David going out to meet the Philistine, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this young man? And Abner said, by your life, O king, I do not know. And the king said, you inquire whose son the youth is. So when David returned from striking down the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the Philistine's head in his hand. And Saul said to him, whose son are you, young man? And David answered, I am the son of your servant, Jesse, the Bethlehemite. Please be seated. Well, for those of you who weren't with us last week, last week we covered part one of this amazing story of David and Goliath. And we saw Goliath's defiance. We saw David's dedication. We saw his decisiveness. And then we see Eliab's denunciation. And toward the end of the story or of the first part, we saw that David had heard Goliath's defiant words. And he also saw Israel's fear. And David kept on asking his fellow soldiers two questions. What is the reward for striking down Goliath? And who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the living God? Well, we see that Saul at this point in his life, he may have feared that he was too old to fight Goliath. His son, Jonathan, was the crown prince, and perhaps he felt his life was too valuable to risk losing. And no one around David would volunteer. And in fact, David's oldest brother, Eliab, seeing his youngest brother lingering around with the other soldiers, actually rebuking David. And so in verse 29 of this chapter, David responds to his brother, and he says, what have I now done? Is there not a cause? In other words, what David was saying to Eliab and to the people of Israel is, is this not a cause worth defending? This uncircumcised Philistine is persistently mocking our God. This is an important matter. This is a cause worth fighting for. And so in verse 30, David continues to implore the, the, the army, the soldiers around him, hoping to draw some sort of interest and to inspire courage in the other troops. But every single person David spoke with was either indifferent or afraid. No one wanted to volunteer. And so in this passage, I want to focus on five things that David or any of God's servants, including you and me, five things that God's servant does. We'll see that God's servant volunteers, God's servant prepares, God's servant speaks, God's servant prevails, and fifthly, God's servant inspires. So let's look first at the point that God's servant volunteers. Let's look back at our passage beginning in verse 31. Verse 31, it reads, Then the words which David spoke were heard, and they told them to Saul, and Saul sent for David. You notice when we read this first verse that the text actually doesn't indicate who hears David's words. Because it's not the people that matter or that's the focus here. 
the focus of verse 31 is David's words and the fact that David was overheard by nearly everyone uh, along the battle lines here. David's words were so different. They were so foreign, so shocking that the people began to speak to one another and they reported David's words to King Saul. Now understand here, David is a nobody. He is a teenage boy. He's not even supposed to be at the battle lines. And during this time, a commoner couldn't just approach the king. It would be like one of you or me uh, today if we can't just knock on the door of the governor's office and enter and speak with the governor. We can only speak to our governor if our governor invites us to speak. So David had no notion that he would be able to speak to King Saul. Rather, he was imploring, he was seeking out another person amongst the armies. Do you have the courage? Do you have the desire to want to fight this uncircumcised Philistine? So all of these words that David had spoken, they were so different, so shocking. No one else would, would say these things in these last 40 days. And so these words of David were reported to King Saul and King Saul sends for David. Now, you can see and even sense as David was speaking to these people and when he heard the alarming unexpected news that King Saul was summoning him, that I felt or I see that David's conviction at this point starts to grow. It starts to blossom. I think David started to think to himself, you know what, I can be that man. It's as if David was sensing the spirit of Yahweh saying, whom shall I send and who shall go for us? And David, as he was being escorted to King Saul, was resolving in his heart, here am I, send me. So we then see in verse 32, we don't even see what's written of what King Saul says. Immediately, we see that once David meets Saul, he tells Saul in verse 32, let no man's heart fail on account of Goliath. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And notice even what David is saying here in verse 32, let no man's heart fail. See, David cannot lie still and see all his Israelite colleagues losing heart. And yet at the same time, we see his humility. He even refers to himself that, that I am your servant. He's not presumptuous of himself or thinking more highly of himself than he ought. And yet he comes forth showing the same courage as Joshua and Caleb when they first as spies saw the, the land of Canaan and they saw the giants, right, in Canaan. And they were saying, I will go, I will fight. And David, showing the same courage, is telling King Saul, I will go, I will fight this Philistine. This is probably the first time Saul uh, hears someone volunteer and Saul quickly dismisses David in, in, in what David is saying. Saul says, you can't fight him. You are but a youth. Right? Saul, just like man, we, we look at the externals. We, we think practically. You are but a youth. Back in Numbers chapter 1, verse 3, uh, it seems to indicate that for someone to be able to go to battle, to be in the army, you need to be at least 20 years old or older. So most people would assume that David is under 20, he's underage, he is a teenager. It's like pinning a local high school wrestler against the three-time Olympic champion wrestler. David's overmatched. There's no way he can win. And David senses this. And so David, in these verses, not only volunteers, but he gives his credentials. 
He gives us credentials. And look at what David says in verse 34. Your servant was shepherding his father's sheep. And a lion and a bear would come and take a sheep and I would go after it and strike it and rescue the lamb from its mouth. I would seize it by its beard, strike it down and put it to death. Your servant has struck down both a lion and a bear and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. Now, just by way of background, uh, during this time and in the land of Canaan, of um, where the Israelites were, there were, in fact, lions and bears that would often threaten sheep and livestock during this time. And oftentimes, a lamb's only defense was the fighting ability of its shepherd. I looked up that the Syrian brown bears, so these are the bears in this area, are smaller than California grizzly bears, but Syrian brown bears can still weigh over 500 pounds or 250 kilograms. So a bear, all right, 500 pounds, you've got a teenager, you can understand uh, the mismatch here, and in fact, in 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 23 to 25, there's an account that two bears maul 42 teenagers. So 42 ordinary teenagers against two bears, there's no match, all right? One-on-one -on -one against a bear, I don't think anyone of us uh, in this room can, can manage to uh, go against a bear much less a lion, right, an, an Asiatic lion, so lions in Asia, Middle East, they weighed 250 to 350 pounds. And the only person in the Bible that was shown to be able to single-handedly kill a lion with his own hands was Samson, right? So David is giving his credentials. We assume it's a true credential. He could have been lying, I guess. But these are, this is a significant credential or set of credentials that David is giving. But if you look at verse 37, he doesn't even just give his own credentials. He gives God's credentials. Look at verse 37. David said, Yahweh, who delivered me from the hand of the lion and from the hand of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. I don't think David is lying. There, there are some people who read this and says, there's no way David could have defeated a, a healthy lion or a healthy bear. But what D David is saying here is that it, it's God, it's Yahweh who's delivered me. So understand here, David is acknowledging God and God's past provision, God's providence uh, in David's life. So at first, David is giving his own credentials. I fought the lion. I fought the bear. I struck those animals down. But now he's giving credit to God. And he's looking back at God's deliverance. And because he can look back at God's deliverance, he can look forward and trust God's future provision. God will deliver me from the hand of the Philistines. And I think we can learn from David's example, right? So often we can forget God's blessings, how he's guided us, protected us, provided for us. And the God who protected and provided David, he's the same God that watches over us today. And so we can have confidence, the same confidence that David had, that, that God works all things together for good, those who are called according to his purpose. And so like Abraham, like David, Habakkuk, the Apostle Paul, each of us can live by faith. Let me just make one more point. David is the same David that wrote Psalm 23. Remember Psalm 23? Yahweh is my shepherd, I shall not want. 
So what David is telling King Saul is that I rescued the sheep, but God rescued me. And the same God that rescued me will rescue his flock, the people of Israel. And so when when David says this, Saul changes his mind. He agrees to let David fight. And he even gives David the benediction, may Yahweh be with you. So we see first that God's servant volunteers. Second, let's look at how God's servant prepares. And we see this in verse 38 to 40. And so let me just be clear, even though as Christians we trust in God, that doesn't nullify our responsibility to do our homework and to prepare. And we see here that Saul actually doesn't spare anything to prepare David. Look again at the text. Um, It shows that, first of all, Saul clothes David with his personal robes, his armor, a bronze helmet. He gives David his best sword. So he's equipping David with the same weaponry that Goliath would have. And then we see what happens, right? David... You can picture him wearing all this heavy armor. Might be too big for him. Maybe it was a few sizes, too big, heavy. And so what does David do? He walks around and David says, I I cannot go with these for I have not tested them. And David, he takes off all of the armor and the weapons that Saul had given him. But notice then what does David do? He still prepares himself, but he now relies on the weapons that are most familiar for a shepherd. So a shepherd has to have weapons to defend himself and and his sheep, but his weapons are different from the weapons of the military during this time. So the first weapon he gets is he has his shepherd's staff, right? Uh, Some of your translations, it's staff or a stick, but this is referring to a shepherd's staff, and this is no meager, wimpy twig, all right? This is most likely a very strong staff, and in fact, even though I just told you that only Samson uh, killed uh, a lion, you know, uh, with his bare hands, There is another shepherd, Benaiah, who killed a lion all by himself with a shepherd's staff. That's 2 Samuel chapter 23, verse 20. So he has a shepherd's staff. He's not going in as a weakling. He knows he's going in for a fight, but he grabs a staff, something that he's used for much of his years as a teenage uh, shepherd. Second, he picks up five stones, five smooth stones. And I don't know what your picture is of what these stones would look like, but a lot of people believe that these five stones that David had chosen would be roughly the size of a tennis ball. Right? This is not a pebble. This is not you know, a quarter size stone. This would be a stone that's at least the size of a tennis ball And it would have to be as perfectly smooth as possible, because if you remember your physics, right, to prevent air resistance, so it can be shot at, all right, as quickly as possible and as straight as possible. This would be a type of stone that even if you wore a helmet, all right, it would likely crack the helmet and the impact of the stone can still cause significant head injury. So he's got a a shepherd's staff, he's got five stones, and he takes his sling. And during this time, shepherds knew, one of their weapons was a sling. And David knew how to use this sling. Think with me. David was perhaps one of the most skillful musicians of people in biblical history. He was... Uh, a gifted lyrist, one of the most prolific psalmists. 
But David's most important life skill up until this point is being a shepherd. So if you think that David knew how to play a harp, that's not his full-time job. His full-time job at this point is being a shepherd. His ability to use a shepherd's staff, these stones, and a sling were second to none. David was prepared. David was ready. It's different than wearing armor, but David, with all his life skills and experience up to this point, prepared for himself as best as he could to fight Goliath. And my, my challenge to you today is that whatever skills and talents that God's given you, you, you may think sometimes that it doesn't mean much, right? Maybe I'm not, I'm not the strongest person. I'm not the most gifted, you know, speaker. Um, but God will use the skills, the talents that God's given to you to be his instrument. David never really prepared to use the shepherd's staff and his sling uh, to use against a human opponent, but he realized here that everything was coming together. There was no volunteer. He had to be a volunteer. He at least tried on Saul's armor, but it wasn't going to work. And so he knew that what he had to do to prepare was to use all the giftedness and skills that he had as a shepherd with his staff, with these stones and the sling, and the rest would be up to God. Are you preparing and cultivating your skills and your giftedness to serve God and others? Follow the example of David. Well, we see Saul's or God's servant volunteers, God's servant prepares third, let's look at how God's servant speaks. God's servant speaks. And you even notice here that before David speaks, he observes and he listens. And look at the scene here in verse 41. Actually, despite, you know, all the children's story, it's not actually one-on-one, right? It's David against Goliath and his shield bearer. So you picture the scene. Goliath is coming. He's approaching David and he has a full-time shield bearer in front of him holding a shield that's so big that even it wasn't convenient for Goliath to carry. And that shield bearer is basically holding a shield specifically to prevent a projectile from getting to Goliath. Right? Otherwise, you can just have an archer shoot an archer and, you know, what is that to Goliath? So, so Goliath is coming with a shield bearer. He's approaching David. And as he drew closer, Goliath cannot believe his eyes. What does it say? Verse 42, Goliath despised David. Other English translations, Goliath disdained David. Goliath was sneering in contempt at David. Goliath made fun of David. In another translation, Goliath considered David worthless. Worthless. David was not a worthy opponent. Imagine with me, some would say that Magnus Carlsen is the best chess player in the world today. And imagine if Magnus Carlsen would say, he's from Norway, he's a Norwegian, and he were to say, hey, United States, why don't you select your best chess player to play a game of chess against me? And we decided to get a high school student who has never played in a chess club to go up against Magnus Carlsen. Magnus Carlsen would be utterly insulted. It would not be a fair contest. Someone who's so good at chess doesn't want to play someone who's pathetic at chess. It's it's not even fun to see. It's it's not even fun for the winner because you're against a a, a, a worthless opponent 
It's obviously not fun for the worthless opponent because he has no chance. And so, so Goliath is insulted. He's offended. This teenage boy is not a worthy opponent. He says in verse 43, am I a dog that you come with me, come to me with sticks? And understand here, during the time of David and Goliath, dogs, unlike the United States, were probably the most despicable animals. I mean, for the adults here, Goliath is basically using a cuss word, saying, do you really think I am this? And notice then what Goliath does. It says the Philistine cursed David by his gods. He cursed David by his gods. Gods is plural. So the Philistines actually had multiple gods. And Goliath is asking his gods to inflict harm and curse upon David. See, this battle was never about one champion pitted against another. This battle was always a confrontation between the Philistines' lifeless gods and the one living God. And that's why it mattered to David. That's why David stood up. Goliath had sapped the heart and the courage of God's people. Goliath was trampling over the honor and glory of the living God. And David, seeing and listening to all this, he finally speaks. He speaks in verse 45, and he says, you come to me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of Yahweh of hosts, the God of the battle lines of Israel, whom you have reproached. And notice when, when David says that I come in the name of Yahweh, what David is meaning or what he was saying is that David is saying that I am acting as a representative of God. I am coming to you under the authority of Yahweh. Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse four, Moses writes, for Yahweh, your God, is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies, to save you. David continues in this chapter in verse 46. He says, this day, Yahweh will deliver you up into my hands. I will strike you down, remove your head from you. I will give it to the dead, the bodies, to the birds of the sky and the beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Oh, can't you see here? David is brimming with confidence because he is so consumed by God. God will deliver uh, Goliath into David's hands. God will help David strike down Goliath. God will prevent, present Goliath's bodies to the birds in the sky. God will show all the world, all the earth, that the God in Israel is the one true God. And finally, in verse 47, look what else David says. Look down with me. David said, verse 47, and that all this assembly may know that Yahweh does not save by sword or spear, for the battle is Yahweh's. The battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. So what David is saying is that I don't just want all the world to know that, that God is the living God. I want my people, I want the Israelites who are so discouraged right now to know that Yahweh is God and that the battle is God's. The battle is the Lord's. The battle is not mine. It's very similar to the story of Elijah. Remember the story of Elijah? It was at Mount Carmel, right? When there were 450 prophets of Baal. And so Elijah waits. He has the 450 prophets pray to Baal to send fire down to consume the altar. Morning, afternoon, getting towards evening, no fire. 
And then what does Elijah do? Douses all this water on the altar. And then Elijah prays, right? Remember what Elijah prayed. He said, oh, Yahweh, today let it be known that you are God in Israel and that I am your slave. Answer me that this people may know that you, oh, Yahweh, are God. And then fire from Yahweh fell and consumed the burnt offering. It was all about God, his glory, and his honor to be displayed to everyone. The false prophets, the Philistines, and God's people, the Israelites. You know, I think for us, what we can take for this is that we need to, we need to prepare. And we need to prepare to be able to speak God's truth. We had learned that so often you and I can just want to be people pleasers. We, we can be just so fearful, like the words that we say, right? If we say the wrong word, it'll be spread to others. I don't think it was easy for David to go to person to person and ask each person, you know, are you willing to fight? It was something that was probably, it could even have brought shame to him. But, but David had the boldness because this was too important. God's glory was at stake. So we see God's servant volunteers. He prepares, his speak, he speaks. And fourthly, God's servant prevails. And, and, and we know that God's servant prevails because we know that God always works everything for his purposes. And you remember that back in chapter 16, God had promised David and had anointed David as Israel's next king. So David knew if he were to die in this battle, he could not be Israel's next king. There are times where we can't presume that we will win the game, that we will win the battle. But if God promises us something in his word, we can count that. We can bring that to the bank. And David received God's word that he will be Israel's next king. And so he knew that God would be faithful to that. He can make it happen even in the midst of this upcoming confrontation with Goliath. And so amazingly, what, what does David do in verse 48? It says in verse 48 that David quickly ran toward the battle to meet the Philistine. Look at David's audacity, his confidence. When, I, I don't know much about boxing, but when I, when I see some highlights of boxing, you know, when the, when the bell rings and the, the fight is about to begin, Usually the boxers will come on gradually, right? They'll approach, they'll keep their guard on, they'll kind of move very methodically, very carefully, because they know that, you know, if they come on and expose themselves, they can be in for very quick, stiff consequences. But David doesn't hesitate. He doesn't take a little step at a time. With the shield bearer and Goliath in front of him, he runs towards Goliath. And as he's running, look what happens in verse 49. David sent his hand down into his bag, took from it a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. I think this is significant. Most people, all right, if you are an archer, if you had a gun, for you to fire accurately, you need to stop. You need to stop, hold your aim, and then fire. David, he's running, and as he's running, he takes the stone, and as he's running, he slings that stone toward Goliath. And what happens? It struck Goliath on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, 
so that he fell on his face to the ground. This is miraculous. With a shield bearer, maybe Goliath was too confident and he just moved away from his shield bearer. He was exposed. There were some people that say that Goliath was, you know, clothed in armor, but he had just one weak spot. I don't think he had just one weak spot. Yeah, maybe he couldn't have a helmet that prevented him from seeing. But this stone, like I said, the size of at least a tennis ball, impaled saw on the forehead, and it caused immediate brain damage. But look what even happens next. The, the stone sank into his forehead, and read this, so that he fell on his face to the ground. The, this fatal blow by the stone is miraculously under the hand of God. Think with me. Uh, Goliath is probably looking straight ahead at David. And for him to uh, receive this stone at such speed that it impales him, it sinks into his forehead. Newtonian laws of physics would say that it would basically cause Goliath to go backwards. And if he were to fall to the ground, most likely what would happen is he would fall back and would be the back of his head that hit the ground. But what does scripture say? Scripture says, and the stone sank into his forehead so that he fell on his face to the ground. Do you remember when the Philistines had stolen the Ark of the Covenant? And they decided to, to store the Ark of the Covenant in the temple of Dagon, their idol. I don't remember how big Dagon was, but I think it was definitely more than one story tall. And then they went to bed, the Philistines did. They came back to the temple the next morning. And what happened? Dagon fell down, right? With his face to the ground, prostrate in front of Yahweh. To fall face down during this time was a show of respect to someone you're superior. And it is the position used to worship God. Numbers chapter 20, Moses and Aaron came into the doorway of the tent of meeting and fell on their faces. Joshua tore his clothes in Joshua chapter seven and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of Yahweh. Goliath refused to show God his due respect, but at the end of Goliath's life, God caused Goliath to fall on his face to the ground forward, not backwards. Brothers and sisters, do you know that at the final day, all Christians, all non-Christians, will bow down before our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Philippians chapter two, verse 10, so that at the name of Jesus, not some, not believers only, but every knee will bow. Of those that are in heaven, earth, even under the earth, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And Paul is quoting from the Old Testament. This is not New Testament theology, it's Old Testament theology. He's quoting from Isaiah 45, verse 23. Isaiah says, I have sworn by myself. Actually, this is Isaiah speaking the words of God. What God is saying is that I have sworn by myself. There's no one higher that I can swear to as God. So God is swearing by himself. So you know this is for sure, for sure true. Everything God says is true but he's swearing to himself in Isaiah 45. I have sworn by myself, the word has gone, on, gone forth from my mouth in righteousness and will not turn back that to me, every knee will bow, every tongue will swear allegiance. And so like Goliath, every single person will fall prostrate on their faces to the ground. All will swear allegiance. All will confess Jesus as Lord. 
this battle wasn't about David and Goliath. It was about the living God showing himself true to everyone and everyone saw, even though Goliath didn't want to, God made Goliath fall face to the ground. God's servant volunteers, he he prepares, he speaks, he prevails. Fifthly, God's servant inspires. God's servant inspires. Remember how scared the Israelites were? Goliath was climbing up the ravine, one man, and the entire army of Israel retreated back, even though they were on the high land and Goliath was on the low land. But look what they do now. Look down in verse 52. But the men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines as far as the valley and to the gates of Ekron. So we see here that the Israelites, they shouted. It was a shout of mutual encouragement. It was a battle cry intending to frighten the enemy. They weren't afraid anymore. But they didn't just shout. What does it also, the text said, the Israelites then pursued the Philistines. Now, I don't have my map drawn like I did last week, but where Israel and the Philistines were, where the valley and the ravine was, all right, going west about 10 miles would be Gath, and you have to go up another five to 10 miles to Ekron. So when it says that the Israelites pursued the Philistines all the way to Gath and to Ekron, we're talking a distance of 10 to 20 miles. It wasn't just that they retreated and they went a few hundred feet. They chased them down basically to their two main capital cities. And after they returned from their pursuit, they plundered all of the camp and the encampment of the Philistines. But notice again, here's another detail. Look down in verse 54. David took the Philistine's head and brought it to Jerusalem. Let's not miss this detail. During this time, during this time, Jerusalem was not occupied or controlled by the Israelites. Jerusalem is still under the control of the Jebusites. So David, after this victory, instead of going down back to his hometown of Bethlehem or going back to the king's palace, to Saul's palace in Gibeah, he goes to Jerusalem with the head of Goliath. David was announcing to the Jebusites that the God of Israel was victorious, that the battle is the Lord's, the battle is Yahweh's, and Yahweh's army had just defeated the mighty Goliath and the Philistines. David was, in a sense, witnessing and testifying to yet another people group of the the presence, the reality, and the power of his one true living God. All of this done by this young teenage boy. And you see how David is used by God to inspire. My exhortation to all of us in this room is you and I don't need a high position to be influential. You you don't have to be the named leader. You don't have to be the pastor. You don't have to be the Bible study leader of your community group. You don't have to be the oldest person in the room. When you are faithful, when you trust in God in the midst of dire circumstances, God will use you to influence and inspire others. 
I don't want to draw too much spotlight on the Leffler family, but for those of you who were at the Leffler's memorial service yesterday, I left that memorial service so inspired that, that God would show himself faithful and through the desire to be faithful, uh, the Leffler parents, I mean, their faithfulness in, in raising Leanna for the 20 months that they had, and even now, as they try to remain faithful and trust in God, that is so inspiring to me. That's why I think it's so important for us to even want to read good Christian biographies. There are so many, uh, many of God's people who've preceded us that, that have lived a life of faithfulness or even a specific act of faithfulness that should give us inspiration because they are serving the same living God as we are. So, in conclusion to all of this, uh, it's not probable that God will ask any of us to decapitate someone <laughs> for God's glory. But I do think that God is calling us to be his ambassadors. And he does call each and every one of us who are his children to preach the gospel. It's now today, after the Christ event, it is the gospel that is the power of God for salvation for God's enemies who remain defiant. And, and we can't be like the Israelites before verse 52. We can't be indifferent. We can't be afraid. We can't be silent. And when we appreciate God's saving grace, he will compel us to speak and to love and to act. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord on that final day and we want to inspire each other to share the gospel so that others might worship Christ Jesus today and not need to wait for that final day before they're condemned to hell. Let's close in prayer.